You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers 38 to three in a game that was essentially over at halftime. And we're going to talk about some narratives that have come out of this game and some things that I want to talk about. The first thing that I want to talk about is systemic depth, not just depth in the form of talent. So the Buffalo Bills have been through the ringer this year when it comes to injuries. And specifically on the defensive side of the ball and in the secondary, there have been many injuries. But I got an email earlier this week that inspired a little bit of this topic, and I want to talk to you a little bit about it. And what this email said to me is it said, Hey Bruce, we have a trend now because we've seen DeMar Hamlin play three games or more this season because you know, three games is a trend with Kansas city next week. And you speaking to Micah Hyde's anticipation being such a great part of the deep ball defense, more important than his speed. Can you compare the strengths and weaknesses of DeMar and Micah, how we are better, worse, or even shape comparing the two safeties as keys to containing and slowing down Kansas City? Now, I'm not going to go exactly with what Adam sent me. However, I wanted to kind of jump off of this email. And I wanted to jump off of it because I went back and I decided to watch DeMar Hamlin. And so last night, because Tuesdays are tape Tuesdays for Bruce, last night I sat down and I watched DeMar Hamlin. And I came to the conclusion after watching him and being impressed with him and Jaquan Johnson and how they played, was that systemic depth, which are players who have been in your system, means not having to change the entire world due to injuries. So I think sometimes we look at depth as simply a measure of talent. We say things like, well, they have good depth there, or they don't have good depth there. But sometimes there is a systemic aspect to depth. Because no matter how talented a player is, if they are brand new, you're probably going to have to adjust a lot. 
no matter how good they are, if they just got here, you might have to do some tinkering when they're in. But the Bills really didn't do that. The Bills' safeties were used fairly interchangeably the way that Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer have historically been used, even though neither Micah Hyde nor Jordan Poyer were out there. I saw Tampa 2 with Dodson, Tyrell Dodson, carrying a player down the middle of the field, the way that you would typically ask Tremaine Edmonds to do. Why can you do this with Tyrell Dodson? Why can you do this with Damar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson? Is it because they're extremely gifted players? Or is it because they've been in the system? And systemic depth is probably more important than we give it credit for. Now, obviously, they're talented players. We know that. They're not as talented as their starters, or they would probably be starting. We've talked ad nauseum about the fact that Jaquan Johnson is a below-average NFL athlete for the safety position. But he still looked good. DeMar Hamlin was trusted a little bit more in single high because he's a more explosive athlete. But they were doing all the same stuff. A lot of single high to two high rotations and a lot of two high to single high rotations. A lot of it. They were asking the disguises of Jaquan Johnson and DeMar Hamlin the exact same way that they would ask them of Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. So the reason I bring this up is not because DeMar Hamlin is an upgrade over Micah Hyde because he's not. Micah Hyde is arguably the best deep ball defender in football, period. But the fact that you're able to hold your own, the fact that you're able to do the same types of things, maybe not to the exact same level of effectiveness, but you're able to call the same plays as a defensive coordinator because you don't just have talent depth, you have systemic depth, that matters. It matters a lot. It can help offset talent depth when you have systemic depth. One of the things we were talking about this offseason was should the Buffalo Bills add a safety to the room to take over for Micah Hyde and Jordan Boyer? Well, if you're looking for a future starter in that spot, then the answer is maybe. If you were trying to do it so that the Buffalo Bills would have depth, then how much of a talent upgrade are you going to get over DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson? And is that talent upgrade going to be enough to offset the fact that they've been in your system for multiple years? It's something we don't talk about enough. And the DeMar Hamlin question made me think about it. In case you're wondering if this week I might eat my words, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are not really throwing the ball deep this year. It's not really a significant part of what they're doing because they don't have Tyreek Hill to do it. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has the deep speed, but he hasn't been utilized in that fashion. It has been a quick trigger offense, or it has been Patrick Mahomes hanging on the ball and making a play, usually horizontally. So not a lot of deep balls. Now, obviously, you know, I could say that and they can come out and go bombs away. 
but it doesn't seem likely based on the way that Kansas City is playing offense and the way the Bills are playing defense that you're going to see a lot of them, which means this might not be the game where Micah Hyde's absence is felt the most. Since we're already in emails, we're going to go ahead and talk about some other ones. Andy says, Bruce, I'm catching up on your old pods from week one to three, and your discussion of plurality pie reminded me of this tweet about Bobby Babich and his impact on the linebacker room. And the tweet was from Jim Ruther, who said, in February, Bobby Babich was moved to linebackers coach. Previously, he coached the two Pro Bowl safeties. Through the first four games, Milano and Edmonds have been great. Shout out to Coach Babich. Andy says, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. Yes, Poyer and Hyde blossomed into all pro-level safeties while Babich was the safeties coach. And yes, Milano and Edmonds have excelled thus far this season since Babich became the linebackers coach. You might even say that Edmonds is exceeding expectations. But really, how much of their success can be attributed to Babich? And how much can be attributed to the addition of Von Miller and the improvement on the defensive line? What other factors play a role here? Andy. In my opinion, the biggest reason for the success of the linebackers this year is Daquan Jones. We're going to talk about it later. But I was all on the Daquan Jones train when it happened. I said on Twitter before the season that Daquan Jones was the most schematically influential addition this offseason. And people were like, well, Von Miller. No, I didn't say the most talented. I said the most schematically relevant. He has the biggest trickle effect through the remainder. Daquan Jones is the thing we were constantly hoping Star Latule was going to be. Star Latule was perfectly reasonable at his job. Daquan Jones is good at the same job. I went into Tape Tuesday watching safeties. I came away watching Daquan Jones, a one-tech. He's been fantastic this year. And I will pound the table over and over and over and over again for you to go back and watch him and how good he has been. And when you have a one-tech up front who is capable of taking on double teams and potentially two-gapping, and you're in nickel all the time, you are taking one less gap off of the plate of the linebackers behind you. And that matters. Because the linebackers are being forced to deal with whatever mess the defensive line makes in front of them. It's one of the reasons why Tremaine Edmonds gets a little bit too much crap. Now, I've never been a Tremaine Edmonds stand by any means. You know this. I thought he was perfectly fine. This year, he's been good. And the reason he's been good is because he's not having to constantly clean up the mess left behind by defensive linemen not doing their jobs up front. Daquan Jones is not leaving a mess for someone else to clean up. And that matters a lot, especially when you're a nickel and you're already shorthanded in the box. You bring Taron Johnson down, that's awesome. It's not the same as a base 4-3 defense. You are already putting tremendous stress on your defense. You ever wonder why we refer to Sean McDermott's defense as a linebacker-centric defense? It's because all the crap rolls downhill to them. That's why. And when you have amazing linebackers like Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis, 
You can do this stuff. But you don't want to put too much on him. Matt Milano should be an all-pro right now. If the season ended today, I would like to think it would be an absolute robbery if Matt Milano was not an all-pro. That's how well he's been playing. Daquan Jones. It trickles back through the remainder of the defense. One of the reasons why some people think off-ball linebackers are the running backs of the defense is because of how dependent they can be sometimes. In the same way that running backs can be dependent on the offensive line, the defensive line has to take care of things for linebackers. Linebackers can be dependent on the things in front of them, much like running backs are dependent on the things in front of them. And so they think, well, if you've got a good offensive line, you just plug anybody in. And I don't think that's to the same degree, but I see where the concept comes from. It's just the concept of dependency. And so I don't think it's dependent to the same level, and I don't think linebackers are interchangeable to the same level as running backs are, but I understand the dependency side of that argument. And I think you're seeing that. You're seeing that right now. My number one factor in the play of Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano this year so far is Daquan Jones. The defensive line as a whole, absolutely. Tim Settle has been good as well. But the plurality pie, the biggest piece of plurality pie, doesn't go to Bobby Babbage, even though I know he's fantastic. It goes to Daquan Jones. Matthew sent me an email. He said, good afternoon, Bruce. We recently saw a score Gami when the Seattle Seahawks defeated the Detroit Lions by a score of 48-45. Most fans, myself included, tune in every week in hopes of seeing the ever-elusive Scorigami. For those who might not know, Scorigami is when a game ends in a unique score that's never happened before. It's exhilarating, refreshing, and it helps cut through the monotony of 272 NFL regular season games. So here's my proposal to make Scorigami a somewhat more frequent occurrence. On offense, as long as it's outside the two-minute warning, a team can elect to go for it on a fifth down. Should the offense get it, They can continue to play. If not, a safety is awarded to the defense and the offense must free kick it back to the opposing team. The safety in and of itself is a rare play that only happens a handful of times throughout the season. Getting a free two points for a stop on fifth down will help scores end in scoregami by default. I'm a fan of treating these fifth downs sort of like challenges. You get one chance per half, and if you get both, you're awarded a third. Or perhaps even, instead of the offense advancing if they convert a fifth down, they are awarded the safety, and the defense must free kick it back to the offense, although I admit this makes things more convoluted than necessary. After all, we're trying to protect the integrity of the game here. Just curious on your thoughts on this, Matthew. As a general rule, I shy away from any fairly extreme rule changes. Because as you mentioned, I'm trying to protect the integrity of the game. I didn't want to go to 17 games either. I'd much rather go to 18 and two bye weeks, but I didn't want to go to 17 games for the NFL because I do want to protect the integrity of the game. I don't want it to become a completely different sport. Now, I want to get the sport better. So the replay stuff, I'm, I'm all the way down for because I want to refine the game. I want it to be more pure. I want it to be more about the better actual team on the field that wins because we know, we're going to talk about this later, the better team does not always win. In fact, frequently the better team does not win in football. 
But I would like the better team to win as often as possible. And when I have things like this, I have a tendency to push back on them. Because the fifth down, I'm thinking of a, of a good offense. It's really hard to stop a good offense three times in a row. Imagine trying to stop them five times in a row. Imagine trying to stop an offense like the Bills five times in a row. When you play Bills Chiefs and they punt, it's a massive W for the defense. Heck, if they kick a field goal, it's a W for the defense. And as we move more and more towards strong offenses, I don't know if I need any more rules to help the offense at this point. It's almost like make it, take it when one of you is just really good. It can get out of hand really fast in basketball. Yeah, that's right. I made a basketball joke because, you know, I'm well-rounded and stuff. So, Evan has a Kansas City Almighty take for me. He says, well, apparently, once again, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills made me look completely reasonable. And Josh will probably be referring to me when he says, quote, a lot of people doubted us while hoisting the Lombardi. Anyway, on to Kansas City. We've never seen the Bills get pressure with four rushers on Patrick Mahomes. That ends Sunday. Vaughn gets a sack. Groot gets a sack, Boogie gets a sack, Matt Milano gets a sack, Taron Johnson gets a sack. Josh continues to do Josh things and obliterates the defense. And in the wise words of Randy Moss, Gabe Davis's job continues to be to take the ball deep, take the top off the defense. Jimbo Cook gets in on the fun too with a 75-yard touchdown run, Bills 42-21. I would like it. I will say this about James Cook. I would be shocked if James Cook got any meaningful run against the Chiefs. This feels like a play-the-people-you-trust game. And the most significant run we've seen from James Cook has been when the game was already out of hand. They don't trust him yet. That's what it looks like to me. And so I'd be surprised. Not only 42-21 would be nice, but I'd be very surprised about James Cook getting significant run. We are going to take a quick break. we got some more things to talk about. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We went through some emails right off the bat because one of the main topics about systemic depth came as a result of an email. But I want to talk about something that I wrote an article about for buffalorumblings.com, and that is I wrote an article about point differential. You've heard me say on this podcast before that how and why are more important interrogatives than what. If I had t-shirts made, that would be one of the slogans 
on the t-shirt. How and why are more predictive than what? What is just a data point out in the ether? Doesn't matter. Not all four and one teams are created equal because not all methods of acquiring four and one are equally sustainable. We've seen this time and time again from teams who sneak into the playoffs with bad point differential and we're like, well, they're probably not going to last and most of the time they don't. Or a team goes on a winning streak because they get really good fumble luck and they score some defensive touchdowns. And we go, that's not sustainable. And sure enough, it's not. But I want to share with you some data that I collected because we know that this stuff matters. Intrinsically, we know. Think about when you play fantasy football. Your team is 4-1, and one, but you have the second fewest points scored in the league. You know that your team is due for regression. Maybe even a significant backslide. You could end up with a third pick in the draft next year. Because you recognize that how a team wins and loses is more predictive than the win or loss itself. We recognize this stuff with fantasy, but somehow we don't recognize it with real football. But we should. In 2021... The division champions around the NFL had the following final regular season point differential. Buffalo, plus 194. Cincinnati, plus 84. Tennessee, plus 65. Kansas City, plus 116. Dallas, plus 172. Green Bay, plus 79. Tampa, plus 158. The Rams, plus 188. Two of the four teams with the lowest point differential ended up making the Super Bowl. Why did I bring this up? Because of how rare that is. Since 2002, 40 teams have played in the Super Bowl. Of those 40 teams, nine of them had a regular season point differential of less than 100. At the end of the year, they had scored less than 100 points more than their opponent. The 2021 Rams and Bengals, as mentioned, Denver in 15 when they were led by their crazy defense, Baltimore in 2012, the Flacco year, the 2011 and 2007 Giants, where they got really hot right there at the end, the 2008 Cardinals, the 2006 Colts, and the Panthers in 2003. That's it. The other 31 teams went into the playoffs as teams that didn't just win games, but they dominated when they didn't. They won big, and they didn't lose big. Look at all the teams in the NFL that are currently 3-2. and The Ravens, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Titans, the Chargers, the Packers, the Buccaneers, and the Niners. Are all those teams equally likely to make the playoffs and do well? Do you think so? I don't. Would you rather be a fan of the Tennessee Titans with a point differential of negative 16? or the 49ers with a point differential of plus 20. Both teams currently lead their divisions. Both of them are probably very well may win them and secure themselves a playoff berth. Well, the AFC South may prove to be a weaker division than the NFC West, Tennessee's paths to playoffs might be easier. Do you feel, as an observer who is not a fan of either team, that Tennessee is a better team primed for more playoff success than the Niners? How a team wins matters because it gives observers predictive optimism or predictive pessimism. I have optimism about this Bills team, not just because they're four and one, but because of the method by which they acquired it. We've got plurality pie to talk about. 
because I know we got to do that. Plurality pie for the Bills-Steelers game. Josh Allen, 32%. Another great day from Josh Allen. Ken Dorsey, 19%. I really liked a lot of the calls in that game, and I loved specifically the method by which they stayed aggressive. Daquan Jones, mentioned him earlier, here he is. 15%. Get your slice of pie, my friend. Daquan Jones, 15%. Gabriel Davis, 11%. Having a deep threat matters. Stephon Diggs, 8%. Khalil Shakir makes his first appearance. Come get yourself some pie, young man. Rookie, get yourself a slice of pie. 7%. Other, 8%. One last thing before we get out of here. The Christian McCaffrey trade rumors. I want to comment on them real briefly. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with the Buffalo Bills wanting to make a trade for Christian McCaffrey. But I care about the cost. Why? Why do I care about the cost? Bruce, it doesn't matter if they win a Super Bowl. I agree with you. If they win a Super Bowl, it's not going to matter what they gave. But being the best team doesn't mean you're going to win the Super Bowl. Last year, I don't think the two best teams were even in the Super Bowl. But that stuff happens because the ball is oblong and it bounces weird ways. Just the way it is. Elements of luck make me never believe in all in. And you knew I was going to say this. I railed against the Super Bowl or bus mentality every offseason. It's popped up every single time. I've said, no, there's no such thing as Super Bowl or bust. We completely dismiss the impact that luck has on football games. So because of that, I'm never an all-in guy. I'm all-in. We're totally all-in this year. No, absolutely not. Because you can have the best team and not win the Super Bowl. I know that. I think that all of us intrinsically know that. We don't want to believe it in the moment because we get caught up in stuff. So yes, I'm completely fine with it. If the Buffalo Bills want to trade for Christian McCaffrey, knowing full well they very well may cut him this offseason. I'm fine with that. But I'm not interested in giving up a ton. Because I want the Bills to be in a window every single year that Josh Allen is available. And I want to make sure that they have the assets to support him and surround him with talent every single year. And I don't want to not have three second round picks, for example, for the next three years because one year we thought we were all in. So I'm good with it. But I still care about the cost. Because it's not as simple as yes or no. Everything is a value proposition in life. Everything is what you give versus what you get. Every minute of every day, every breath that you take, everything you do, what I'm doing right now is a value proposition. I have decided that it is worth the time that I spend writing this article, recording this podcast for the return that I get. I have made a value call. Everything is a value proposition. Every minute of every day. And this is no different. So it's not as simple as yes, trade for him or no, don't. It's yes, but. It's no, but. And in my case, in a vacuum, yes. But show me the cost. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Buffalo Rumblings.